everyone, welcome to What Really Works, a mental health podcast for young adults and youth. In these podcasts, you can expect to hear us chat about mental health and provide well-being tips and tricks with the odd joke thrown in. What Really Works is brought to you by Discovery College, an initiative run by the Canadian Mental Health Association Kelowna, where lived and living experience and learned experience informs everything we do. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hello, what really works, listeners? Hi, Becky. Hello. How are you doing on this lovely Thursday, cloudy, cloudy Thursday morning? It's definitely cloudy. Yeah. We were discussing earlier, saying it seems very sleepy. The world is asleep yeah. this morning. Yeah. That's like, that's the way I'm feeling. Just a little bit like malaise. <laughs> oh, I like that word, actually. It came out of my mouth. And it was the classic again where I'm like, is this the right word? <laughs> I'm going for it, though. Hi, What Really Works listeners. If you're feeling sleepy and malaise like we are, welcome. If you're feeling excited and not sleepy, then that's great too. Welcome, welcome. We do have a guest with us today, Selena. Hi, Selena. Do you mind introducing yourself to the What Really Works listeners? Not at all. Hi, listeners. Well, my name's Selena. I am currently in university studying to become an educator. And I am here today to talk more about mental health, my own experiences as an Asian individual. And I think it's the perfect time to mention it today just because it's Asian Heritage Month. And I think Becky, Olivia, and I, we were all talking about how it's really important, especially now with the rise of COVID and the racism. Yeah, it's incredibly important. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us, Selena. We've been wanting to do a podcast about this for a while um, we've addressed you know we've addressed some experiences of people of color and especially black individuals within um, the past year as the again the rise of hate crimes against people of color um, continues to be something that folks are faced with every day and we wanted to come on and have this conversation as well centered around the experience not not necessarily centered around the experience of Asian individuals, but centered around around your experience, Selena, and um, you know how COVID has affected you, as well as how just your your culture and uh, how you identify yourself, and kind of living in this this dual world between Western ideas and then your traditional culture, and then all expedited with COVID. So much to get into, so much <laughs> to talk about, which we'll get into um, as we as we continue on. But before that, I have an important question for you. Okay. What is your favorite fruit and why? Um, my favorite fruit is the watermelon. I feel like it's just so fun and summery and just absolutely <laughs> delicious. Love it. We were saying earlier, I think watermelons are quite controversial fruit. I'm not feeling yeah. it. <laughs> Becky, <laughs> not feeling it. Do you, uh, Selena, do you eat the seeds when you eat watermelon? Like, do you eat the black seeds and the white seeds or no? I feel like I eat the white seeds because they're more, they're more like pliable. But yeah. the black ones, I try to spit out. Fair enough. Okay. I eat both. <laughs> I just, what? Yeah, I know. I just send it. I just recall. Oh. <laughs> in shock. Like, <laughs> <laughs> There was like a myth when you were growing up that like the seeds make you grow a little watermelon mm. inside. Yeah. So- I feel like I would kind of tend to eat them more because of that, just to test it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, really? A watermelon's going to grow inside of me? That's kind of cool. <laughs> oh, anyway, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Uh, Becky and I are actually quite excited to to have this conversation and to delve into this. 
So why don't we just jump right in? And Selena, the first question that I would really like to ask you is, like, how are you? How are you doing? Like, how how are you? Yeah, I'm doing really. Uh, there's the whole emotional, like, <laughs> not naming your emotions thing. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna say I'm doing great, but I'm doing okay. And I think with all of the hate in the world right now, I I'm I, I'm assuming a lot of listeners kind of feel the same way. Just okay, not great, not bad, just kind of floating by. <laughs> Yeah, just getting by each day, taking mm. each day as it comes, and just trying to try, trying to get to the end of the day, I find, for myself. Yeah, just trying to, yeah. Yeah, and that's me as, you know, as a white individual during this time where I'm not experiencing. Like, I have my own mental health stuff that I'm dealing with, and obviously COVID sucks, and there's a lot of stressful things in the world, but I can't imagine what it would be like to have more just like... Uh, trauma and constant stress on top of me and weighing down on me like another another spinning plate uh, tons of spinning plates actually when it comes to you know everything that's that's been going on as far as the hate crimes against people of color and I can only imagine that that takes a large toll on on where you're at oh absolutely and we were talking the other day about how there's so many more news stories and there's a lot of news stories that don't actually say the truth or it's kind of hushed hushed. Um, and I feel like just reading those, it was just hurting your heart a little bit. And at this point in our lives, it's really hard for you to say that you can do something. Um, especially as a person of color, I feel like that has always been a challenge knowing that you know the institutions the systems are basically stacked against you in a certain way Um, and I feel like that was something I always struggled with growing up was my mental health and the stigma about being Asian or mental health in the Asian community I feel like that was always a, a challenge yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more. So what was your experience, if you don't mind sharing with us, what was your experience growing up um, in an Asian family and wanting support with your mental health or maybe struggling with your mental health? Um, what was that experience like? Yeah, um, so it was, where, how can I say this? Let's go to the very beginning. So I am a second generation Canadian. So that means my parents weren't born here. My parents were actually born in Vietnam and China, and I identify as a Chinese individual. Long, complicated history there, but I identify as Chinese. Um, and so there was a lot of, there was a duality there where you have the culture and the values that your parents really give to you, and you really want to make them proud, like any kid does want to make them, like their parents proud. Um, and then growing up, in Canada where you're taught be yourself, authenticity, individuality is really important. And that constant struggle of wanting to please your parents, but knowing that your values don't align exactly was always a struggle. Parents were always really strict. And you know, the stereotypes of wanting your kids to be a doctor, you know, they come from a place of truth. They're not necessarily true, um, but they come from a place of truth in the sense that I always was asked what I wanted to be growing up. I always, 
education came first, everything else second. And so that was a lot of, lot of fight internally. That sounds sure. like so much pressure. It is. And imagine that pressure at such an early age. I'm not talking at like high school, which it definitely was there in high school, but you kind of get used to it starting probably in grade four when report cards came out. You know, I remember being really, really nervous when report cards came out and it took a really big toll on my mental health. Gave me a lot of anxiety for sure. Yeah, it must be so hard because we've spoken about expectations on this podcast before and how like expectations can have a huge impact on us. But what you're kind of saying is those expectations were so high from such a young age and all those kind of pressures and trying to like live up to those expectations and keep on pushing kind of doesn't give you that time to like support yourself or do anything for yourself, right? Because you're trying to constantly meet these like it must just be so tiring constantly trying to like reach those like incredibly high bars, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. And that that is part of the problem, I feel like. It's not just the pressure, but it's not being able to have the time to take care, care of yourself or the resources. Um, I, Being an Asian individual, mental health in the Asian community is still very stigmatized. So it's, it was really hard looking for the resources I really needed. And the people I felt like I could turn to about my problems. And so I struggled with my mental health from probably when early as I can remember to, well, now. Uh, but I'm handling it a lot better now. But I needed to find the resources and the people before I could feel a lot better about everything. How are you able to do that? I mean, it sounds like such a struggle between trying to, you know, be perfect and follow and adhere to expectations but also try to connect with your connect with traditions and connect with culture and make your parents proud and then you know that duality with with also trying to do what you want to do and make sure that you're taking care of yourself and making time for self-care how did you find the resources that you're that you're speaking of when they weren't kind of naturally available to you it seems so that was actually a really big aha moment was when I found my resources. It took probably five, six years before I could say that I had the, the social network or the support system. And so what I did was I reached out to the resources at the university I was uh, attending at the time. I didn't feel like I was comfortable enough to go to any trusted adult in my life. I didn't feel like I had those people but turning to your friends was, or turning to my friends, I should say, was something that really helped me. And it was actually one of my friends that was like, hey, what you're thinking about, what you're talking about doesn't sound healthy. And so they were the ones to turn me on to counseling. And that was a very big change in my life. I know a lot of people are hesitant about counselors because there still is that giant stigma against counseling. But I feel like even healthy people, even healthy-minded people should go to counseling. It's just a safe space. And I really needed it at that time. I needed that safe space. But I don't think I would have gotten there if I didn't hit rock bottom. Yeah, it's tough. We talked about you beginning to struggle at a young age, but then not being able to actually access those resources to support yourself in the way that you wanted to until university. Like that's, that's a long time. That's a lot of years where 
where you're wanting to reach out, wanting to have access to those resources, and then just just weren't able to for for whatever reason. That's super tough. Yeah. Also, just like makes me reflect on my privilege in the sense of quite often we'll be like speak to a trusted person Mm -hmm. when you're having a hard time or you need to like offload or whatever speak to a trusted person and for me I kind of just automatically think like oh well like my parents all my family and kind of it kind of makes you reflect on like you know what that's not that's not as accessible or as open or as safe for everybody and especially when we're dealing with so much and like you say like it takes a lot of energy to find those resources anyway. So then like doing that on your own independently must take, like takes a lot of strength to do that. It takes a lot of, yeah, just, a, I don't even know how to like describe it, but that in itself must have been really, really tough to like find those things yourself. Selena, did you ever feel bad because you were struggling when the folks around you were kind of telling you that it's not something that you should necessarily be struggling with, that your mental health, you should just be happy, you should be okay all the time? Did you feel bad about the way that you were feeling? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in the Asian culture, it's very much about how you portray yourself outward. So it's very emphasized that you portray wealth and status and happiness, even if you're not. So that internalized hatred of the way that I was feeling, why I wasn't happy, even though I was financially okay, I had a roof over my head. It was a lot of struggle within. And I knew that at the time, I couldn't go to who were supposed to be my trusted adults. I felt like as soon as I said something, they would tell me to either suck it up or keep pushing forward as they always do. And so that was a lot of guilt inside. So that was the individual Western society telling me, you know what, reach out to an adult. But then there's the Asian tradition where, well, you don't really bring up, you don't really want to upset your elders. So it was very much a lot of guilt and a lot of anxiety about going to find resources. So was I even supposed to look for resources because well, everyone's telling me I should be okay. Mm-hmm. So that was a lot of a lot of guilt there when I was like, okay, well, I'm really, really struggling, but I'm not supposed to be, but I feel like I need help. So it was this constant like push and pull within of just trying to to figure out what I was supposed to do. Yeah, and on top of that, you're trying to get the best grades possible and <laughs> just be a teenager and you'll be a young person and work through work through everyday life. So, I can't even imagine just how much how much stuff there is to deal with. And it like Becky said earlier, there is it takes a lot of energy to reach out to someone. I mean, I didn't start reaching out like you similar to you, Selena. I didn't reach out to professional counselors beyond like a couple visits during high school and a couple visits during middle school until my second year of university. And it was because I was finally on my own. I also did not tell my parents anything about my mental health when I was growing up, nothing at all. And I guess the resources just became a lot more available at university, I would say, because you kind of talk about it a lot more. It's an academic space. People talk about those. It just seems as though people are more open and they talk about it a lot more at universities, which which is nice. But I wish that that was more available when I was younger. Absolutely. And I feel it's it's sad that it's like a lot of people I talk to don't really reach out until around university 
for the reasons that you said. So I feel like we, there has to be something that changes that these, you shouldn't have to struggle for years on end before you can find those resources or access those resources. Did you think that your parents or the people around you were also kind of struggling with some of their own mental health stuff, but just didn't feel as though they had anywhere to reach out to or like knew what to do with those feelings? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the sad part of it all is you, in the culture, you portray a certain look and I think a lot of people around us were struggling, but because of the stigma, you, you're not allowed to talk about it. So years down the line, I don't want to speak for her, but my sister and I had a good conversation and she was struggling then too. But because of all of the stigma against it, we didn't really know we were struggling and we were in the same house, you know, and I'm sure my parents have their own demons that they fight and my brother as well, but it's, it's tough because we could have helped each other at the time, but because we weren't allowed to talk about it, it just never really happened until yeah. later on, I guess. Is there something that you would suggest to folks that are potentially in a similar situation where they feel as though for whatever reason, whether it be because they identify or because of their culture or um, just because of their life position, whatever it is, if they feel as though they're going through a hard time and struggling, but they don't really know what to do, do you have like a first step that you would suggest to our listeners? I guess my suggestion would be reach out to a friend, even if it's not a person of color, if it's, if they're a person that really loves you or trust, or you trust, I feel like you could turn to them. That's what I did. I remember that was my, my friends were like, this isn't right. You should see someone. And I feel like as a person of color, it's hard to trust white people or it's hard to trust people that don't identify as people of color um, and I understand it's hard so maybe there's a lot of good resources out there now like websites um, that can really help you as well but yeah I that's I can only speak from my own experience and it really worked when I reached out to my friends mm -hmm. and I feel like I was able to be matched up with a counselor that I really liked right away. And she doesn't identify as a person of color. However, she was an ally. And I know we'll talk a little bit more about allyship later, but she was a white person, a white individual who tried to understand and even just trying to understand my point of view made me feel a lot better. So trying to understand your point of view, what else made you feel as though like that counselor was a safe person or an ally that you were able to kind of sh try to share your experiences with? Well, I remember speaking with her about my struggles of that duality inside of myself. And the very first thing that she offered was to seek out a person of color counselor for me. And so that was a big turning moment. Like, she recognizes that I may be uncomfortable speaking of my experiences with people that don't identify as people of color. And so just showing me that she's trying to understand, she realizes that maybe she can't help me as best as someone could. So she helped or she offered to help find someone for me that could make me feel a bit more comfortable and like it was kind of ironic because at the end of it I was like nope I want you you are the person <laughs> that I want to help me feel better and so we had a lot of good moments and when I spoke about my times with my family she tried to understand and sometimes when she couldn't understand she would just say 
things to help me feel a bit better and I would cry and she would cry and it would just be a giant cry session. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes that's what you need is just a giant cry session. Absolutely. There are just some things that you just can't say to make other people feel better, but you know, you, you hurt with them and they'll, they'll, they'll see and they'll feel a little bit better that there's other people out there to support them. Yeah. I'm so glad that you had like such a positive experience with that. Because I know not, sadly, not everyone has that, that's such an understanding and empathetic experience, right? Well, a trauma-informed yeah, experience trauma-informed. and culturally sensitive, culturally um, competent is, is super important as well as just like, I'm sure that, that counselors or, or folks that are working with, with us in a supportive way work through some of their own things at the mm-hmm. same time too. And I know as a white individual, it's, it's always a really a really good learning process for me to do support work um, with people of color so that I can not only, not only learn, but, but recognize when I am not the best person for things is, is an important learning experience or it has been for me. Yeah. Um, And she was also really great in the sense that she made me come to terms with, I guess, the hatred inside of myself. She kind of was the one to point out to me that I didn't have to choose between, you know, my traditions that I really do love and value a lot of the things of my heritage and my culture. And I didn't have to choose between that or my Western society self with the individuality. So like I said before, I want to become a teacher. So I took the hardworking and the education valuing and all of that great stuff that my parents taught me. And I combined that with you know, being myself and having fun and wanting to help students with mental health. And I kind of took that and said, hey, I want to be a teacher that values education, but, you know, you can do finger guns with, you know, that's, (laughs) I don't know why that's what I thought of. But yeah, that's, that she really helped with that. And we realized that I maybe can do a lot of good in the future with students. And, you know, I kind of took that and ran with it. Yeah, you want to give back to students in the same way that probably you wish that you had that support when you were younger, too. Absolutely. I would love to be a trusted adult. And, you know, I think nowadays it's more accepted to help students with mental health as before it was very much like teachers have to portray a sort of professionalism. And we still do. But nowadays, I feel like it's more accepted that we talk about how mental health is really important, how we struggled with it, how how to help. And I want to be that person for someone if they need me to be. I am honestly so excited for you to be an educator. I think you're going to have a wonderful impact on so many lives. Yeah, I completely agree. I um, really hope so. Thank you. Yeah, honestly, like, I like even just talking to you, like you just feel like such a safe person, and understanding <laughs> person to be able to have those conversations with. So you've spoken a little bit about your experience um, in like you've spoken a little bit about your mental health in relation to, um, you know, your heritage and your your Asian culture. Can you talk a little bit about the other side and what you experienced as be trying to be a part of a Western society? Yeah, absolutely. So so growing up, it was really tough because I was battling those two sides, like I was saying, and the side of Canada, the Western society made me really feel ostracized because I wasn't necessarily accepted all the time. I'm not sure if it was my personality or if it was my skin color, um, but it was really tough because, 
you know, you grow up with these microaggressions all the time, less so where I would come from in Vancouver, but it still happens. And, you know, little small comments can really tear down someone's confidence. I was referred to being like a banana growing up my entire life where I was yellow on the outside, but white on the inside, like things like that, that really tear your confidence down. That really had an impact on my mental health. So it's like, I was trying to fit into a society that was still kind of like, not sure if you really belong here. And I feel like with everything that's been going on with COVID, I feel like that has really been brought up to the forefront. So I can only imagine what younger viewers are experiencing right now, if they identify as Asian or Black or any sort of person of color. And so it was very much this despite. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think it's important to talk about I don't know if we've talked about microaggressions on this podcast before but microaggressions are a form of racism they Mm -hmm. are discriminatory comments towards individuals based on their race based on you know things that they that you can't change about yourself just who you are as a person and especially towards Asian individuals, it seems as though like our our Western um, society seems to view Asian individuals as closer to whiteness. So I I see what you're saying. And it's horrible that you were called a a fruit of all like a banana of all things growing up. Like it seems I mean, you can laugh it off now because it seems so silly, but it, it is a racist thing for someone to say to you. And it's it's a really interesting duality where I think a lot of white people do see Asian people as closer to whiteness for whatever reason, um, which means that they typically, I don't know if typically, but I've seen a lot and I'm sure you've seen and we've seen in the media, people saying things to Asian individuals that are racist stereotypes, but thinking that it's okay to say it because it doesn't necessarily feel as bad to them, which is just so, it's so it's so interesting it's so weird to me it's terrible it's like these microaggressions really have a big impact Mm -hmm. because you can see someone trying to fit in trying to go about their daily lives but being constantly pointed out that they're different yeah like just small comments here and there that like you're just going about your day feeling really good about yourself feeling good about where you are and just someone says one of those microaggressions like oh you don't need a calculator And it's like, well, okay, now my skin color is being brought to the forefront when it doesn't need to be brought to the forefront. Like this conversation probably doesn't have anything to do with Asian people, but somehow you brought it up so casually. And I think the reason why people think it's not racist is because a lot of them, a lot of the times the comments are rooted in what they think is positivity. Like it's like being good at math. How could that be a bad thing? It's yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting because. At the end of the day, like a stereotype is a stereotype, no matter if it sounds positive or like, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, positive or quote unquote, negative. Right. Like they're they're pointing out differences between people. And like you said, making others feel feel bad about something that they that they can't change or just pointing it out unnecessarily, um, just making everyday conversations about about race. Well, and it's creating those assumptions, right? Yeah. Immediately based on what. Is the first thing that somebody is apparently seeing, right? Yeah, on sound, on like you say, like that example, like you're saying of, oh, you don't need to calculate. Like, it's a pretty strong assumption, just like based on, yeah, based stupid. on stereotypes that have been accumulated over hundreds of years. And it's it's terrible because a lot of the times, I it, I think it's exactly what you were saying before, Olivia, about 
you know, Asian people being closer to whiteness than a lot of other people of color. And for some reason that gives a lot of people power and they think it's okay to just, you know, my, one of my experiences was when I was probably really young, like 12, I had an, like a white older man come up to me and be, start guessing my, my heritage. And it's like, well, no, that's not okay. I don't know what makes you think that's okay, but Becky and I are just sitting here shaking their heads. <laughs> We're like, oh my God. And I, you know what? And it's unfortunate that something like COVID has to happen for people to start talking about it more openly and for folks like yourself to, to have the, I guess to have the opportunity because more people are talking about it to share your, to share your experiences, which I can only imagine has it was so much harder or it must have been harder before to talk about these things when it feels like no one is listening because it's not something that's popular or not something that's like cool to talk about as it is right now because it's in the news so much and because people are, are finally paying attention. And like I said, it's just, it's a lot of guilt because, you know, the mentality we grew up with is other people have it worse, you know, there was like the whole Black Lives Matter and George Floyd, that was a really big thing. And so with all these Asian attacks coming up, a lot of, well, a lot of what I'm telling myself is it's not that bad. It's not that bad. There's other communities that have it worse. And I feel like that's not the mentality that that we should be feeling, but that's how I've been kind of dealing with it. It's, it's a survival mechanism at this point, really. Yeah, definitely. And that seems to parallel what you were saying earlier about struggling with your mental health, but then consistently having to be like, you know, it's not that bad. I'm not I'm not doing that bad. I just have to keep going. I have to keep pushing forward. Just never being able to just take care of yourself and reflect on how what it is, what what it is that you're feeling and that your feelings are valid and that the things that you're experiencing are valid. That's yeah. I mean, it's a privilege for us to be able to do that. It's, yeah, it's really tough. And I remember there was one news story about an Asian attack in Vancouver where it was an elderly man. And I remember watching it and just bawling my eyes out like that could have been my grandmother who I love to death. Like our elderly little grandmas and grandpas just, they don't mean any harm. So I don't understand how someone could just go up to him and just think that it's okay or they're protecting the country from COVID or whatever their motive was unreasonable motive for sure can i ask a bit of a question around like we've been talking about like a lot of this stuff is like incredibly heavy for you and how you've been like learning some ways of like managing it. and you mentioned about like crying as well as talking to yourself and you, just even those feelings of guilt like how how do you try to look after yourself what things do you try to do to support yourself with all these different things going on for you when it comes to these things specifically, I feel like I do a lot of self-soothing and I feel like that's okay at the time like this. It's a lot of distractions. So watching TV or kind of just sleep, that's one of the ways that I self-soothe. But I think also recognizing that I do need to do those self-care things. So journaling really helps. Mindfulness techniques that I've learned through counseling going to see my counselor that is a really really big one and just trying your best to recognize your feelings I feel like that one is a really big one that I am still struggling with really like naming those feelings and saying hey like I am feeling 
terrible or I am feeling very angry at the world right now. Just recognizing that has really helped like, okay, try to work through all the guilt and just really get down to what you're actually feeling um, has really helped me cope. I was going to ask too, you know, like I feel so grateful for you coming on this podcast, but as folks continue to talk about these things more, which is so important and so needed, I'm sure it does that, that in itself does take a toll on your mental health as well. Like coming here and talking to us, Becky and I, two white individuals that have a lot to learn as well. I'm sure like, does that have an impact on on you? Like continuing to kind of have to have these conversations when maybe you don't necessarily want to, but you are because you're, you're an educator and you're trying to inform people and you're trying to make the world a better place. But I'm sure that that, (laughs) that that's a struggle too. Yeah. There's like that certain fatigue that you get from having to explain the situation and trying to make people understand And even telling your own story can be very traumatizing. And I know a lot of individuals have to take the rest of the day off after speaking about their own experiences, but absolutely very tiring. And I feel like it's okay to be tired. It's a very traumatizing thing to talk about, something you don't really want to talk about, but it has to be talked about if we're going to bring more light to the situation. And feeling that anxiety inside, I don't think it ever truly goes away when you talk about these situations, because at the end of the day, you don't know who's going to react to what, and you don't know if something you say will trigger a confrontation, and that sort of stuff has really put people on edge, and I think feeling anxiety in situations like this is something that's completely normal. For our listeners that might identify as a, as a person of color or, um, I guess, in this conversation, an, an Asian individual and yourself, what, what are you going to do? Or like, do you have a plan of what you might do after we finish recording this podcast? Like, what do you do after something like this where you're trying to have those empathetic conversations with folks to support yourself? Um, so I'm pretty sure the first thing I'm going to do is uh, take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I've that's the way that I really cope with it. And then I always find that when I take a bath, it is a very, very great time to just meditate and to just check in with myself, taking a bath, feeling the warm water around you, recognizing your feelings. Like I feel anxious right now because of talking about my experiences mm-hmm. and really just feeling and just taking care of yourself. And I think many people might think, well, how is checking in with my feelings, like taking care of yourself? Well, it's validating your emotions. It's validating your experiences and knowing that, you know, this is a terrible situation to be in, even if you think it's not, it is. And realizing that you do have allies. So if a conversation doesn't go well, you can say it didn't go well but I'm gonna be like yeah Olivia Becky they definitely understand how I'm feeling like just knowing that you have allies there as well I don't know how it got to this point but (laughs) I was just word vomiting at that point um but yeah just nap bathing checking in with your feelings validating your experiences that has really really helped Yeah. And actually, I do think it is important what you were saying about knowing that you have allies or maybe just knowing that you have people in your corner that that will support you, whether they be a person of color, whether they be a white person, whether they be just someone that you trust, like we've been saying this whole time, someone that you feel comfortable going to and just being around and being able to exist 
in yourself and have people see you show up as yourself authentically instead of just seeing you for what you are on the outside, right? Absolutely. And I feel like that's also a really important point. Like allies take many forms. It could be a friend. It could be a younger sibling. It could be an adult. It could be your dog. Like, you know, it's just, it really doesn't matter. It, it's feeling heard and feeling like your emotions are valid in that space and them wanting to do better for you and for your community. That's really what allies should be. I love that. Yeah, that was that was awesome. I think that's I think you're exactly right with that. Thanks for sharing that. All right. Um, Selena, before we kind of close out here, is there anything else that you really want to like bring people's attention to or that you might want to chat about within this conversation? I think the biggest thing is just we can always do better. And, you know, if you're listening and thinking, well, that's not me, it might not be you. But, you know, just making sure that you're calling out those those instances where you think that it's a microaggression, having those difficult conversations is really important. And listening to those people that you experiences you might not understand, but trying to understand. I think that's the thing that I really want like listeners to take away from. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And well, and also, you know, like you said, Selena, about if someone's listening and thinking that's not me, like at the end of the day, it's still important to listen. It's still important to learn and learn from other people's experiences and from their perspectives to widen our own perspectives for us to become more understanding people. Yeah. And to reflect on our privilege too, where other people are coming from all different walks of life. It might not necessarily even be race, but we talk a lot about mental health on this podcast, like we just did with with you, Selena, and, you know, having lived in living experience in, in all facets of life, it's important to be able to listen to others and, and empathize and try to understand where, where folks are coming from, mm-hmm. you know, and take people's experiences as, as valid and as, a, as authentic. So, Absolutely. And I think that's really important, just recognizing that everyone's experiences are, are different. Yeah. So Selena, you mentioned earlier that, you know, one of the things that you do to support yourself or that was really supportive for you when you were struggling is reaching out to people that you trust, reaching out to counselors. Um, And then you mentioned some websites, which we've actually we're going to link in this episode, some resources that folks can take a look at if this conversation is really resonating with you. And actually, I think everyone should just take a look at the resources because it's important to do that learning and important to, um, yeah, to engage with that material. Thank you so, so much, Selena, for coming on the podcast with us. I know that this is a a heavy conversation and um, we really, really, really appreciate you coming on to to talk with us and feeling comfortable to do that. Thank you guys for having me on. And I'm glad that I can be here with you on this lovely, cloudy morning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, I think that's it. Unless you have anything else that you want to leave the What Really Works listeners with. I hope you guys have a wonderful day. (laughs) I don't really know what else to say. That's perfect. All right. Well, goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Staples Studio is a co-working space for those looking for a safe alternative to working from home. I know I feel so stuck at home these days, and going to Staples makes me feel like I actually have a change of pace. They offer not only a safe space to work with desks, offices, private 
phone booths and meeting rooms, they are connected to the Staples store where they have everything you need under one roof. Studio is more than just a co-working space. Studio is a community to help you work, learn, and grow. Follow them on Instagram at Staples Studio Canada for more information on locations, pricing, and amenities. Please visit studio.staples.ca and book a virtual tour. Thanks again for listening to us. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can find us on all major podcast streaming platforms. And if you don't want to miss any future episodes, you can follow us or subscribe to What Really Works. To find more from Discovery College, go to discoverycollegecolona.com. And thanks again to Staples Studio in supporting us to produce this podcast.